0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shock Doctors podcast. I'm Jim Smith.
1: I'm Matt Daisy,
0: And we are the Shock Doctors. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Eli Roth's latest film, Thanksgiving. Yes, which...
1: so just in time for Christmas, which is my <laughs> fault.
0: <laughs> well, joint culpability, I think, because I had a conference the week after Thanksgiving that basically blocked out an entire week, so it was postponed on Matt's behalf, and then the reason it was postponed quite as long as it was, was my fault. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, i it's not,
1: in my estimation, a modern, you know, a new Thanksgiving horror classic, not that there are really any of those that I could name.
0: <laughs> yeah, I... None of them are jumping to mind
1: off the top of my head. Uh, so, and, it, and it, in any case, it's still in theaters, so it's still seasonal enough, I guess. And like I said, not enough of an instant classic to warrant reverence. No, Timeliness. But,
0: <laughs> but on the flip side, it's also not as contemptible as a lot of Mr. Roth's films, at least. No, in I mean, our yeah. estimation.
1: I, I truly did loathe. Green Inferno.
0: It's it's so awful.
1: But on the other hand, I like Hostel a lot more than you do. I've not seen a bunch of his still. And in the fullness of time, I might wind up reevaluating Hostel, were I to ever revisit it. Haven't seen Hostel 2. I actually don't know for a fact that he directed that one. I haven't seen Cabin Fever, you know, his version, or the other one.
0: It's I'm sure there still, are others. It's still weird to me that there's a remake of that. Like, it's, it's just... It seemed... Number one, like that movie was not enough of a cultural horror landmark. Yeah. To I think warrant like oh we need to remake this and two they remade it after like I think just under fifteen years. Like, that's not a long time to wait either. Right. I'm struggling to even think of. Okay, so I'm looking. He did in fact direct Hostile Part Two. Did he? Speaking
1: of unnecessary remakes, did he do Death Wish? Yes. I've not seen that. And I in no hurry to.
0: Yeah, I. Well, I don't even like the original Death Wish.
1: I, I, I do, but as like a supervillain origin story. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I find it. I find it blood curdling, and on that level, I kind of can get into it, and, and and just like a grungy 70s kind of hell in a handbasket, basket, you know, society's going into the dogs. I can get on that Charles Bronson wavelength, but it's not a movie that I would go to bat for with much enthusiasm.
0: You see, I can enjoy trashy Charles Bronson thrillers from the 70s and 80s. That one, which is weird because it's, you know, the big one, but that right. one just did nothing for me at all, although I did enjoy... I can't remember what his credit is, but Jeff Goldblum is in it. He yeah, plays as, as one like of a... the droogs, basically. Yeah, at, He's... and his like, one line of dialogue is something absurd like, chill mama for we, I don't know, <laughs> gut you like a fish or whatever yeah. the fuck he says. That's right, absurd. bust a cap in your ass or
1: something. Yeah, I mean, the clockwork orangey stuff in it is, is genuinely quite grim, but also... <laughs> for the aforementioned reasons hard to take seriously. So right. It's, it's 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 an odd duck for sure. Yeah.
0: But I'm just looking over his filmography since Green Inferno. He did that odd thriller Knock Knock with Keanu Reeves and a uh, pre-breakout Anna De Armas, but that got like some weird enthusiasm from some people, but it's also got a 4.9 on IMDb, so eh, you know well thanksgiving last i checked has a very
1: healthy tomatometer assessment uh well that's nothing
0: new i mean no it is
1: well it is something kind of new but it's something i've bemoaned in several episodes at this point so i won't harp on about it again it just makes me feel like i'm taking crazy pills and like it's everyone got a memo one day that horror movies that we're just going to go easy on horror movies from now on and everything went fucking topsy-turvy on me it's it, it it used to be quite the opposite. It just feel it just feels like opposite day, but that's nothing really that new. Like you said, so so be it.
0: Yeah, and for what it's worth, Thanksgiving isn't so objectionable for that overhyped Tomatometer as the other movies we've complained about. You know, Mithrigan and the Scream, Scream. latest Scream yeah. sequels, right? He actually had two films come out in 2018. One was the Death Wish remake, and the other one was The House with a Clock in Its Walls.
1: Oh yeah, his uh, children's film. His sort of, like, Robert Rodriguez, Spy Kids moment. Right. Which I never saw.
0: And then he did some kind of marine life documentary for Discovery called Finn. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. He really doesn't have that many feature directing credits, despite him being regarded by some, at least, as kind of a big deal modern horror guy.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say he has that much of an auteur stamp either. I mean, it's no. hard. To, I, I, but I have, I haven't. We've just recounted just a litany of his movies that I haven't seen, so I can't really <laughs> opine on that yet.
0: Sure. Well, I think his style insofar as he has one is just excess. Yeah.
1: Grindhouse grunge.
0: Yeah, I mean Thanksgiving had its genesis twenty three years or not twenty three years ago. No.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> might as well be. I was no, saying, the um,
0: actual number will make me feel just as ancient. <laughs> it's it's sixteen. I don't I guess okay. just because 2023, I went to 23, I don't know why. But yeah, 16 years ago, as one of the fake trailers in the middle of Grindhouse. Yes. And obviously he didn't direct Inglorious Bastards, but he was the Bear Jew! Yeah, he was a
1: a highlight there. Uh, Probably a, a career high point for him, honestly, behind or in front of the camera.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd be inclined to agree. But anyway, so I would say that his directorial history, in terms of what he's into and what he goes for, kind of lines up with his acting career, at least when it comes to that particular point in it.
1: Yeah, all things being equal, I would have rather gotten a feature length Edgar Wright's. Don't. <laughs> I, w- I would have. I would have rather gotten that than Last Night in Soho, frankly. But you know, that's well, not the not the timeline yeah. we're living in. <laughs>
0: Eh, no, it certainly is not. The film we did get, Thanksgiving, follows a small New England town, so everybody gets to break out their BOSTON fucking accents.
1: Oh yeah, the the killer's Boston accent really goes off the charts after (laughs) he does his heel turn, after he's revealed (laughs) to be the killer. Uh, it's just through the roof. It's it's ridiculous. It reminded me of Chief Brody in Jaws going there in the yard, not too far from the car. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: there's a Black Friday. Well, technically, actually, it's it's one of those well, we're actually going to open the store on Thanksgiving itself situations, mm-hmm. and there's basically a human disaster that takes place. Yeah, uh,
1: which is sort of ripped straight from the headlines. Not super topical, because stores don't really operate that way anymore because people kept dying. <laughs> but the there was the guy, Best Buy or whatever it was, who got trampled to death several Thanksgivings ago. That was sort of the turning point.
0: Yeah, well, and I just, I feel like, enough of Black Friday buying has shifted online that the in-store element of it is just less of a big deal.
1: Right. It's not. It's no longer a block-busting lines-around-the-block kind of affair where you camp out all night. And I've seen some people lamenting that, you know, the the, the deals aren't as enticing anymore, like the, 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 the stores made Black Friday deliberately less enticing, so that there would be fewer human stampedes and fewer fucking fatalities. But I think much of it migrating onto the websites and onto Amazon and what have you is more to blame. Conveniently for Eli Roth, it also portends bloodshed in this movie and in real life on a few separate occasions. Right. It's it's like Black Christmas, you know?
0: (laughs) Exactly.
1: Black Sunday. Yeah.
0: So anyway, I mean... I feel like when we were small children, Black Friday wasn't even a thing. I feel like it had maybe a 15 to 20 year lifespan. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's obviously tangential. So there's this big Thanksgiving night crush event, fucking human catastrophe that takes place at this big box store. Several people get killed. And then a year later, there's a slasher in a mask. Taking revenge.
1: Running around, turning the whole town into cranberry sauce. (laughs) So we open with that fateful Thanksgiving night. It being a crowd crush scenario, there is a whole crowd's worth of characters that we're introduced (laughs) to. You know, it's like a Robert Altman slasher movie or something. (laughs) There's just a fucking small army of them. And I was okay with that in the prologue here because it is... A crowd fiasco that problem doesn't really go away though and it's really just to populate the movie with bodies so that people can drop like flies and you don't really miss them but even after the title drop which happens after the dust has kind of begun to settle at the right Mart, as it's called in the movie there's still just way too many fucking people so i'm not <laughs> going to remember any of their names or even most of their names but i'll pick out a few key players from the crowd if i can We are introduced to, so first of all, it looks like Dawn of the Dead in this fucking parking lot. You know, there's just masses of people, zombie-like, kind of itching to get inside and get their waffle irons. Waffle irons specifically get a weird amount of attention during this whole sequence. They're they're name-dropped repeatedly as, like, the hot-ticket item that everybody wants. Sometimes it's kind of said disparagingly, but then you also see people making off with boxes of them during the actual riot.
0: Well, it appears that that is one of the specific come ons that you know the first hundred people through the door or something get a free waffle iron. Yeah, and so I think it... I'm sure
1: that's just supposed to underscore the inanity of the whole thing. But that's <laughs> right. that's not enough blood in the water to explain this feeding frenzy. <laughs> if it were like flat screen TVs, I could maybe understand. Or, or, you know, I don't know, even that's not that exciting anymore. It might have been when Black Friday was more of an event some years back. Anyway, The Parking Lot is already a horror show, even before the shit hits the fan. And despite that, we get a car full of teenagers who happen to be coasting by, and one of them's like, Yo, bro, pit stop, I need a new cell phone. And it's like...
0: I think he needs a cell phone charger, but your point is well taken.
1: Okay, and
0: uh, <laughs> that that's even less compelling. <laughs> but at least more sensical. It's not yeah. like, this particular moment, I need to get the new iPhone right now. Well, yeah, I mean, anyway, so they sneak in
1: through an employee entrance and start picking over the goods and just generally messing around being hoodlums before the people on the outside have the chance to get in. They're, in fact, barricaded a good ways off. They're cordoned several yards from the door. And right away, I didn't love that because often, and I, I this is my own fault for being a little bit of a freak about crowd disasters, uh, <laughs> I, they're always misreported as stampedes when, in fact, what is actually happening is that crowd congestion has gotten so extreme that People can barely even wiggle from side to side. They're not walking, much less stampeding anywhere. And then the stampede, quote-unquote, happens when pressure is relieved, you know, in the case of the guy being trampled on Black Friday at the Best Buy or whatever it was, that the, the doors fell in because the force of the crowd. You know, the, the force that was being exerted, you know, it's more or less exactly the way it plays out in this movie. And and it, it does eventually progress to that point in this movie after the crowd sees the people inside of the store. Someone seizes a megaphone and's like, doors open, everybody. And then they go for the doors, but the doors are not, in fact, open. And so then you get the splintering glass and the doors buckling under the pressure. And then the stampede happens because... When the doors finally cave in, those bodies need somewhere to go. You know, these crowd disasters operate like liquid. If a cup springs a leak, the water comes pouring out. That's, you have to, anyway... If you or I had been in that crowd, we also would have stepped on that guy. We would have had no choice. That's kind of the horror of it. And that gets a little bit lost here because Eli Roth is just kind of a schlockmeister, you know, so like naturally (laughs) someone coming through the doorway slices his jugular on a broken shard of glass in what's left of the doorframe and then...
0: Continues to hobble in the direction of the waffle irons.
1: Yeah, right. With arterial spray, you know, (laughs) squirting through his fingers, And then a lady gets scalped by a shopping cart wheel and a whole bunch
0: of bedlam. Incidentally, just to sketch out the characters such as they are, because this lady getting scalped is a relatively important plot point.
1: Yeah, later on.
0: We actually elided this prior to... This crowd disaster scene, or sequence, or whatever you want to call it. There's kind of a Tale of Two Cities-esque, like, this is the working man's household on Thanksgiving, and this is the rich guy's household on Thanksgiving. The rich guy in question is the guy who owns the store... The working man in question is a manager at the store. I don't know if he's the manager, like the GM, or if he's just a manager. But either way, he's being dragged into work on Thanksgiving when he originally didn't think he was going to. And he's also friends with the sheriff, played by Patrick Dempsey. Mm-hmm. That is probably how we'll refer to him, because I have no idea what his name is. The Sheriff character. Dempsey, that's correct. Yeah, yes, that's exactly. Sheriff Dempsey. Um <laughs> and it's the manager's wife. First her her skull gets pushed in and then she gets partially scalped mm-hmm. uh, by f- fucking shopping carts. Right, because a, a strand
1: of blood-clotted hair gets wound around one of the wheels and there's two people butting heads or carts, uh, more to the point. You know, raw, 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 waffle irons, raw, raw, you know, are, and they're just kind of descending into this <laughs> feral you know, sort of Feeding frenzy and yeah they 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 make off with half of her head without even noticing it because I don't normally I'm I'm more down for this kind of misanthropy this like are we not all beasts you know that but it's just it's it's pitched at kind of like I don't know it's a little too tongue in cheek for me and I have a particular weird affinity for crowd disasters and I'm a little bit prickly when they're portrayed in a way that well. More on that after the break. I can go on that diatribe later. <laughs> so, dust settles. We cut to one year later. Now, this is a kind of slasher movie that you don't see that often anymore, but which were sort of a big thing in the 80s where it's specifically the killer getting revenge.
0: It's all anniversaries.
1: anniversary exactly. This is the one-year anniversary of the bad thing. Prom Night is like that terror train
0: I mean, in a different way, even fucking Halloween is like that. Yeah, you know, it's 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 fifteen years instead of one in the first film, anyway. But it's still an anniversary deal. Mm-hmm.
1: So that feels classic. I'm here for that. What what I'm not <laughs> what I'm not so much here for is this strange conceit that this small town has and that this movie has by extension that or you know vice versa perhaps that thanksgiving is like a big mask wearing occasion we were shown this diner lady behind the counter is like, you know, happy thanksgiving everybody here. You know, oh, the kids are going to love
0: this and she's passing out. Don't uh, don't forget to take your John Carver <laughs> mask.
1: <laughs> yeah, this like
0: spooky the stone-faced
1: pilgrim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it, it looks- yeah, it's just it's just like an alt-skinned Guy Fawkes mask basically. Right. It's basically. got like a little more detail than the anonymous style Guy fox mask. And
1: it's, when the killer shows up in his full slasher regalia, thankfully he's got like a hat and a cloak to complement it, because otherwise he would look like nothing so much as a murderous Burger King. You know, it looks like <laughs> the Burger King face. Yeah. With, the, yeah. with the hat on, he sort of looks like a cross between the Burger King and Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, it's perfect.
1: But we're not introduced to him just yet, or are we? Because it's a who done it as well, which also feels pretty classic. Mm-hmm. We have, in fact, met the killer, but we don't know that yet. We are introduced, or in many cases reintroduced, to, I want to say, between 30 and 40 teenagers. <laughs> just like a, 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 a frankly ludicrous, unnecessary number of teenagers who I could not begin to keep track of. The one... Who gives off final girl vibes is named Jessica, and she is the right mart heiress. She's the daughter (laughs) of the guy. And uh, and
0: like a true Zoomer, she is hostile to the concept of her family's wealth. Yeah, and 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 where it comes from. Oh,
1: and they're planning to do another big sale as kind of a palate cleanser this year, and she thinks that's exactly the wrong thing to do and she doesn't, I don't know, I feel like in different hands she would have been more of an obnoxious Zoomer about it, and gone on like a whole anti-capitalist rant, which is, you know, welcome enough if it's in earnest, or if it's handled with a certain amount of finesse, but if this were like Sick, for example, another movie that fared much better on the Tomatometer than I think it had any right to, you know, I think it would have been just kind of an annoying caricature. That's less of a characteristic of hers than I might have feared. So that's all to the good, I would say. Her dad, I'm going to maybe have more to say about this after the break, is played by a guy who had a very memorable role in Hostel. uh, He's the highlight of Hostel for me, and so I, I don't see enough of him. So it was nice to have him back. Well, I'm sure that he you and Eli uh, you gotta Rose. watch,
0: you gotta be one of the hundred million people who's watching Suits on Netflix. I'm pretty sure he's got a major supporting role on that show.
1: All right, well, maybe I'll sink my teeth into that one of these days. I am only just now getting around to Game of Thrones, so that tells you <laughs> where I'm at in terms of the zeitgeist. Her final girl vibes are really established in a scene ripped right out of Laurie Strode's introduction where she's sitting in class, or at a diner, I think it might be, and she's gazing idly out the window, and she sees the killer, in the words of Patrick Starr, just standing there, menacingly, (laughs) and she's she's the only one who sees him, and then, you know, blink, and he's gone, or, you know, a car occludes him, and then he vanishes, or something like that. So we figure, okay, she's in it for the long haul. The herd gets thinned, In a major way, but we kind of know exactly who's going to be the the final girl, you know, the last the last one standing. And I thought it was was so obvious, actually, that I thought that it might be sleight of hand that maybe she was going to go down, if not first, then like around the midpoint of the movie. And then we'd get a surprise protagonist and kind of a psycho, more like alien, I guess, where like Sigourney Weaver just kind of slowly emerges as the protagonist. But uh, mm -hmm. the movie doesn't have anything quite that clever up its sleeve. Yeah.
0: Just to sketch out, I'm not going to use any names, but just so we have the full spectrum of who might be the killer. Her friend group, Jessica's friend group consists of two football players and their girlfriends. And then she's got an ex-boyfriend who was like a hot shit college pitcher, like baseball player who got his pitching arm gruesomely snapped during the crowd disaster. Yeah, and, during he... a,
1: a, an aborted Good Samaritan attempt. He right? Was, like, tr- trying to intervene and got a shattered wrist for his trouble.
0: Yeah, and then he apparently disappeared for an entire year and just sort of resurfaces now. So he's got the bright neon sign above his head saying, like, this is probably the guy. <laughs> yeah, right. And time will tell, of course, whether that's misdirection or whether he really is the guy. Well, I rolled him out almost immediately, partly because he is painted in neon,
1: as you said. It's slightly too obvious. And secondly, his grievance being a shattered wrist, I mean, it just means that he's useless as a football player. It's not like it's still in a cast or anything. But nonetheless, the way the killer wields that axe, it just seems like he's a little too proficient with his with his bad arm. Uh, I don't know. For that to be
0: one year of really aggressive rehab work. Who knows?
1: Could be. And of course, Slasher movies lampshade shit like that all the time. So he's really not out of the running. This was just me keeping my own mind occupied.
0: Right. So he's Jessica's ex, and then she has a current boyfriend who some of the friend group doesn't particularly like. And obviously, the ex boyfriend, when he shows up, the two of them have a lot of antipathy because, you know. Rah, rah, testosterone. Yeah. So that's kind of the whole social circle.
1: So the first victim to bite the dust is the waitress, the woman working at the diner who was handing out the masks earlier. And she is, let's see, she's chased into the freezer. I think this is what happened. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think her face gets pressed against the inside of the freezer door, which is apparently skin-flayingly cold. Like she has to she has to rip her cheek off in order to get away,
0: how they set this up is that the killer starts dunking her in a sink full of water. Oh, that's right, so that... it's because it's because her face is wet. It still might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's definitely a lot more plausible than if she just had this perfectly dry face. okay,
1: well, I can live with that, but then what then happens is she she's chased into the parking lot and she's trying to clamber over a dumpster in order to get to safety, and the killer rams the dumpster with his car, and the lid falls and bisects her, like, slices her clean in half.
0: Yeah, those lids are not that heavy. Yeah, or right, sharp. well, it's just, between
1: that and, well, because, looks so, right, the freezer door is a little bit of an eyebrow raiser, and then when that happens, it's like, is she even human? It's like, or is she just, like, a golem made of loose ground beef. Like, that's just... <laughs> what, what, she's outrageously fragile on the basis of those two gore moments. It's just silly. And the movie, I don't, it doesn't really maintain that level of silliness in any of its... You know, the other kills are comparatively kind of pedestrian, or, right. you know, people take the amount of abuse that you would expect. It's... <laughs>
0: Yeah, the sequence does allow for a moment that I was kind of tickled by when she has gotten herself into a hidey hole in between getting her cheek ripped off and going out to her car. She's trying to unlock her phone so she can call the police, presumably, and she keeps, like, pushing blood around on the screen and it doesn't work, and then she tries to do the facial recognition unlock, and then her phone doesn't recognize her face because it's got a chunk missing. Right, right. I thought that was pretty funny.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I liked the the blood smearing around on the screen because it's annoying enough trying to operate your phone like right after you've stepped out of the shower
0: or Mm -hmm. something
1: like that. So that taken to the nth degree when it's actually urgent is (laughs) is kind of, it preys on a pet peeve of mine. I got a, a kick out of that too. Yeah. So the killer sort of announces his intentions to the world at large by tagging our small army of teen protagonists in a series of cryptic social media posts basically indicating you're next Mm -hmm. and we get a slew of slashings i don't think any of them individually are really worth delving into but feel free to pump the brakes if you disagree there's a guy who's killed in his own home there's a lady who's killed jumping on a trampoline which is pretty gnarly because, of course, she like steps and then falls on the blade several yeah, times.
0: Well, yeah, well, the blade keeps going into the trampoline and then getting pulled out. And there's this sort of rhythm where she keeps landing on it, and then it goes away. It shows up somewhere else. And, yeah, that's uh-huh. pretty that's pretty gnarly. I It was mildly amusing. Her boyfriend gets his neck or his head turned 180 degrees, and he's got the broken rubber neck. And then he's... His body is sort of still perched, watching her from afar with the back of his head. right. Which was not bad. The guy who gets killed in his home gets the old garrotte beheading thing, Mm -hmm. which is, strains credulity a little bit, but again, it's Eli Roth, he's doing his maximalist thing. Because the killer is not, it's important to note, a Michael Myers-type hulk you know, behemoth. It's a relatively, like, average size, average build, kind of, like, 5'10", 170-looking kind of guy. mm mm-hmm. And you wouldn't think that that sort of guy would have the strength to just use a garrote to cut off the head of a guy who's got, like, six inches and probably a hundred or more pounds on him.
1: Yeah, or to indeed to make someone's head owl all the way around on their shoulders you
0: know <laughs> right
1: there is as if we didn't already know jessica was going to be the final girl she and the killer have a long cat and mouth scene in the halls of her high school which she survives her high school which apparently has a whole cosmetology wing she gets into this classroom that's just full of makeup supplies and wigs on mannequin heads And uh, this is all just so that she can hide amongst the mannequin heads and freeze. And it's a little bit of um, raptors in the kitchen and Jurassic Park kind of suspense. And she knocks something over and gets the killer's attention and then manages to make a clean getaway.
0: I feel like there's a particular Giallo movie where a very similar set piece takes place where like a victim or potential victim, some woman, has to hide amongst a series of mannequin heads.
1: That's very possible. I don't remember that happening in Blood and Black Lace, but it is set at like a like a modeling academy, so it's possible it was that one, or possible it was almost any giallo movie ever made. It feels like a very giallo moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could be just be doing a Mandela thing because it feels like that. It feels like something that easily could have happened in a giallo right. film.
1: I, uh, the movie started losing momentum for me at this point in a pretty major way, but it wasn't, you know, it was like the air coming out of a tire. It wasn't a blowout. It was like a slow leak. You almost don't even notice it's happening until it's too late. And after a certain (laughs) point, I was just like, oh, I don't, I just don't. I was expecting to care more as some of the peripheral characters started getting rubbed out because there's less to pay attention to and you can maybe begin to get invested in the people who are living to fight another day uh, but that was not the case for me so much there is one kind of entertaining character he's basically he's easy andy from taxi driver he's like the the, the gun merchant uh, and he also he also <laughs> local sells, dirt bag right he sells booze and occasionally guns to the local youths and he's throwing sort of a shit bag party out in the sticks And they go to his place to arm themselves and he has like a very easy Andy, you know, you want some of this? Oh, this is good. This is a 50, you know, whatever caliber, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of hoping that the movie would linger there a little longer and that I I even as I didn't have a sense of what the runtime was, I even thought there was a chance that that was where they would wind up having to make their last stand and it Mm -hmm. would turn into like kind of a survive the night thing. But the scene ends. And then we're back in the town proper. And it's back to business, basically. There's a standoff where a girl gets thrown into a table saw. I just watched this movie yesterday. I don't remember anything else about that set piece. Other than that, the killer is waving his cell phone around. And I think he's showing them. A lot of this movie just devolves into like live streaming. The killer is big on on, on live streaming his crimes. He's got bodies and hostages arrayed around a thanksgiving table where he's you know preparing a grisly feast and this is where the climax actually winds up going down but not before there is a parade sequence and for some reason i was i found this a little befuddling jessica is adamant that you know this this parade is our chance to get him and she says it with such conviction i figured she had hatched a scheme Of some kind but then she turns to sheriff Dempsey and says sheriff is there a way to set a trap (laughs) it's like what I why why where is this confidence coming from and then sheriff Dempsey proposes a plan which I don't remember because it doesn't come to fruition no the killer gets the drop on them and this was kind of clever you like the characters are vigilant and you're scanning the crowd for people in pilgrim masks and instead the killer shows up dressed like a killer clown. He looks like one of the other bank robbers in the opening scene of The Dark Knight. You know? <laughs> yeah. He looks like one of the non joker, you know, hoods who winds up getting wiped out. He's got smoke grenades. He's got tranquilizer darts. People die in offhanded kind of incidental ways, very much like the Black Friday stampede cuz Eli Roth just can't help himself, you know. <laughs> guy gets impaled through the back of his head and then out through his face.
0: Yeah, and I couldn't even figure the geometry of that cuz he's yeah. the dude's <laughs> the dude's driving a float. So he's in the cab of, you know, a truck, presumably some kind of flatbed truck, and on the back of the truck, the actual float is a Mayflower it's a big wood and paper mache ship, or whatever the fuck it's supposed to be made out of, and his head gets impaled by the prow of yeah. the ship, like the and point at the front of the ship. It is apparently
1: a sturdy, seaworthy vessel because it makes it through all the truck material and then through his head. Well, I also. mean, in terms
0: of truck material, there's really only a back window. But what That's I say, true. when I say I don't understand the geometry, it's like the ship is not bathtub sized you know it's 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 big it's like 15 or 20 feet tall at least so i don't know how the prow of the ship which should be pointing up well over the top of the cab of this truck somehow ended up just sliding forward and going directly through the back window and subsequently through the back of this guy's skull and then the front it just it 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 doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think Eli Roth definitely fudged the logistics there. (laughs) I think he did. You know, for his own sick purposes, which is fine. Uh, And speaking of him getting his sick kicks, we then probably get the most on-brand kill in the entire movie. The killer has abducted just a a swath of, you know, he's got the guy from Hostel, the department store mogul, and his daughter, and his wife. And the wife is glazed and cooked alive, and the cherry on top here is that right before he closes the oven door on her, he sticks a meat thermometer in her, which was kind of funny.
0: Yeah, which then, as she expires, it pops just before Mm -hmm. it cuts to the next scene. Naturally so then the killer having assembled
1: his thanksgiving party guests some dead some alive around the table starts gloating and really hamming it up and this is where the movie gets the furthest into sick territory for me sick yeah. you know being the the covid slasher from earlier this year or last year or whenever it was several episodes ago he has a series of of really grating puns and double entendres where, you know, he, he, he bashes a guy's brains in with a meat tenderizer and he's filming him, And he's like, you know, don't you want to go viral? You're going to break the internet.
0: He literally says after this subtlety doesn't work on the internet anymore. You really have to, hit him over the head yeah I was like just just brain
1: me with the fucking meat tenderizer <laughs> at this point put me out of my misery and thankfully I don't think he actually kills anyone else in this scene he is preparing to he, it goes on too long but not as long as I was afraid that it might right. uh, be, because Jessica manages to get away and so does one of the football players whose names I don't remember
0: Yeah, because the other football player is the one whose skull is porridge.
1: Right. So, classic slasher stuff, we're running from the killer, and there's a highly—I mean, the writing was on the wall at this point, if it wasn't before. There's a highly unconvincing moment where, like, the killer has escaped into a warehouse of some kind, and then a moment later, Sheriff Dempsey emerges, and he's like, Oh, you just missed him. (laughs) he got got away uh, uh, rats I almost had him
0: the thing that's more unconvincing for me is there's a shot somewhere in this sequence where we see the ex-boyfriend baseball player take off one of these John Carver excuse me John Carver masks
1: I kept hearing it as John Carter as in of Mars (laughs) and I was very
0: confused (laughs) And they spot him doing this from a distance like, oh, no, it was Bobby. And there's also when they're approaching the warehouse, Jessica and whoever the other football player is. I think his name is Scuba. Yes. Yes, it is. I think his last name's supposed to be Diver or something. And then it's like, why do they call you Scuba? What's your real name? Claude. Yeah, Scuba is better, <laughs> which is funny. But they, they're going into the warehouse, and they find Sheriff Dempsey face down on the ground, unmoving, and they roll him over, and he's got like blood smeared on one side of his face. I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. If he wasn't involved, I feel like we would have seen the scene of this happening to him. Right, because Eli
1: stuff. Roth can't help himself. Eli Roth would not withhold Patrick Dempsey getting his face lacerated unless it was to obfuscate something.
0: But anyway, Patrick Dempsey runs into them and says, like, hey, I've, I gotta go. I just missed him. I'm gonna go after him. We hear some gunshots. Ah, I think I might have hit him, but he got away, blah, blah, blah. Somewhere in this sequence, Jessica also gets chased through the woods. So then we get this scene where Sheriff Dempsey is kind of debriefing her, and she has her hello Zep moment. Yes. Where she sees, like mud on his shoes and she was running through the forest away from the killer and so she's like oh the forest is the only place with mud (laughs) and so yeah then she hello zeps her way through a series of flashbacks where the sheriff was looking at screenshots of the security footage from the disaster the year before it's like jessica i need your help identifying some of these people and you can't trust anybody and It's always the little details that give the killer away and we'll get him. These are the little details that she's catching. He's got like a bramble on his pant leg and then the mud on his shoes. Yeah, so she
1: has her sort of Columbo eureka moment off the back of that. And then he realizes that he's been found out. Then we get our climax and he's chasing her around and going back into full on ham. And this is when his accent skyrockets into absurdity you know, there will be no leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they thought that line was good enough to double down on, which makes it a kind of leftover in and of itself in, in a strange way. But yeah. because because then she says it right before she immolates him, and that's that's what happens. I mean, there's more to it, but he is set aflame. She shoots a giant inflatable turkey balloon.
0: Which she had begun inflating, presumably, with hydrogen. I guess they just had a a can of hydrogen. Why they weren't using helium, I'll never know. They didn't (laughs) learn from the fucking Hindenburg, apparently.
1: Oh, and this is after she sort of fights fire with fire in a less literal sense. She live-streams his confession. It's just live-streams all the way down in the back half of this movie. There's an (laughs) annoying scene, a little cul-de-sac, that I forgot to complain about earlier where a bunch of cops raid his lair and realize that they've been lured there they think because that... the
0: killer's ethan hunt basically yeah
1: well he's <laughs> he's using a phone to film a computer monitor and Which the monitor they thought
0: was just real life
1: yeah and the monitor is displaying the grisly thanksgiving feast that he's prepared that raid plays itself out in full, and then we cut to the actual lair, and he breaks up the meat tenderizer and starts monologuing. I think the way to do that would be to intercut the two. It's so self-evident to me that you, you could have taken two bad sequences and maybe made something out of them if we're tricked into believing that the fuzz is just about to break the door down and stop this carnage and then they realize that they've been hoodwinked. Instead, we get the raid in its entirety and then we get the Thanksgiving dinner in its entirety and it it just seems like just one dud after another for me.
0: Well, yeah, and they didn't need both of those sequences in full to like pad out the movie cuz the movie while not extremely long is still like an hour 45. Which is yeah. longer than a horror movie strictly needs to be. I mean, they could have lopped off ten minutes and it still would have been not weirdly short. And yeah, one of the ways they could've done that is by condensing those two sequences into one, like you say.
1: So movie's basically over. There is an epilogue where Jessica is still nightmaring about Patrick Dempsey, now <laughs> wreathed in flame like Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> And, it's, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's just a very, you know, a kind of a wet fart of an ending. And then the credits roll. The credits actually, the last shot of the movie is of her awake, having just awoken from this nightmare, looking at the door of her bedroom and bracing herself like something is going to come through it. And then the credits burst through the door. <laughs> it's a bit weird, more after the break.
0: I used to love this town. Until what happened that night. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and I'm tired of pretending like everything is normal and it's not.
1: I want things to go back to normal, too. Show some enthusiasm. Thanksgiving is an institution here.
0: Hello, listeners. It's Jim, here as always during the break to tell you some stuff you probably already know. Please follow us on Twitter at Shock Doctors Pod, on Facebook at Facebook.comslash Shock Doctors Pod, or check us out on Apple Podcasts. The podcast is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got an idea for a movie you'd like us to check out, feel free to send us a DM on social media or email us at ShockDoctorspod at gmail.com. And now, back to the show.
1: The longer this goes, the more twisted it gets. Every weapon he's using is straight off a Thanksgiving table.
0: I don't want to spend my life looking over my shoulder. We need to stop him. And we're back. One thing that we didn't mention specifically since we initially alighted the opening scene or two i think it's the opening shot quite literally is a halloween style heavy breathing pov shot of someone walking up to a front porch which i don't know i kind of like and i also kind of feel whatever about because on the one hand it shows that eli roth knows where his bread is buttered, and knows that, like, yeah, these are the kind of movies he's hearkening back to with this slasher anniversary trope. But on the other hand, it's also just kind of throwaway. It's literally the first shot, and then it's played for a laugh.
1: Well, right, because then someone opens the door, and it's a late-arriving Thanksgiving house guest. Well, and and that's what makes it kind of cheeky. It is the killer's POV. He's just... Yet to break bad. Oh, because we didn't even touch on his motivation. The woman who got scalped on the floor of the right mart was uh, his wife, or, I think, or girlfriend. No,
0: no. She Remember, she's the wife of the store manager. But apparently, she and Sheriff Dempsey were having an affair. That's right, and,
1: and she was pregnant with his child.
0: Right. I'd, I feel like a right idiot for... <laughs> it just didn't click until this very moment, like... Oh right, yes, that is the killer's POV. Because I had just forgotten about it by the time I got to the end of the movie.
1: Right. Well, but the, the, he has—he's not the killer yet, and has no motivation to kill. He's just a nice guy. He brought a pie that he baked himself, I think, if memory serves. And he's very like Oshucks, small-town sheriff, well-meaning. Right. Uh, he's, if anything, he's like protagonist coded. And then <laughs> after that the basically as soon as we get to the to the to the store to the right mark, the movie is fully seated to the teenagers. And from that moment on, I was like, okay, the smart money's on Sheriff Dempsey being the killer. Yeah. I like well, I'm of two minds about that whole prologue. It's got an energy that the rest of the movie is missing, you know, the that escalating feeling of frenzy and mayhem as things spiral out of control. I prefer, you know, because crowd disasters in real life are pretty much always a top-down failure of crowd management. It's not down to the greed or you know right. gluttony of the individual actors down on the ground, and that is not the case here. In fact, I was ready to be very sour on it at the start because I didn't think that the crush was going to be a crush at all. It looked like it was just going to be a stampede. It looked like it was going to play straight. The misreporting that always happens whenever we get another one of these these disasters. But then the, they did start pressing in on the glass and it started to more closely resemble the actual incident, the actual Black Friday trampling. And then I, I started to come around on it. Uh, not completely because you still get the sort of splatterhouse antics of the scalping and the throat slicing and what have you. Uh, But that's Eli Roth in a nutshell. I I, I remember Hostel being a little more high-minded, or if not high-minded, then at least grounded and kind of grimly horrifying. And the best scene in Hostel is uh, the actor who I singled out, who plays the mogul in this movie. He has yet to go down to the snuff room he's a paying customer mm-hmm. rather than a victim and he's incredibly jazzed and is just you know he's asking one of the movie's protagonists who's at this point going incognito going undercover as a, as another customer and he's like how should i do it and the guy's like you should make it quick you should you should do it as fast as possible and he's like yeah yeah i'll do it for no no fuck that <laughs> it's just really it just it makes you feel like you're in the room with a serial killer in kind of an unexpectedly genuine way given the rest of Eli Roth's track record. I should probably revisit Hostel at some point. I worry that it won't hold up to additional scrutiny, but I do remember liking it. And I can't really go to bat for any of his other movies that I've seen, although I don't dislike any of them as much as I disliked Green Inferno. I am lukewarm, shall we say, on Thanksgiving. I think I liked it a little more than sick, but there's a reason that's the movie I keep referring back to. I think that there's a little bit too much sick in this movie's DNA for my liking. It's got that same kind of and it doesn't feel as slight and topical because Sick was about COVID and that's got an expiration date on it in terms of relevance. In fact, I, I think the movie was a little late to the party yes. for me and is only going to lose relevance as the years go by. Thanksgiving doesn't have that problem, but it has a similar kind of, I don't know, flimsiness. That's a strange word to use, but there's just a kind of a, a similar cheek and irreverence but it's just not as obnoxious about it.
0: Well, and it also doesn't have... I feel like Sick had accidentally or maybe on purpose weird politics. Well, it had more of an
1: axe to grind, seemingly.
0: But it was one of those, I feel like we observed when we did that episode, it was one of those situations kind of like The Hunt where the whole premise seems tailor-made to be like, oh, you know fucking MAGA people, what a bunch of chuds, but then it turns out, like, actually the crazy ones are all the lefties. Right. (laughs) I mean, the the murderers in SICK end up being these, like, hyper-COVID-aware, granola-eating, (laughs) hybrid-driving wusses, (laughs) essentially. Yeah, I
1: mean, I I found the hunt extremely annoying, but the hunt at least... I mean, I remember it being very muddled, but I, I think it might... Sick to me seems like it just doesn't even have the strength of its convictions. You know, it seems like they appointed CNN killers rather than Fox News killers just because that would be it would be more subversive that way, more surprising, supposedly.
0: Right. Well, I guess the point I'm building toward is that at the very least, I don't think Thanksgiving really has any of that in either direction. No. It's just kind of. I don't want to suggest that, like, finally, a movie without a message being forced down our throats. <laughs> yeah,
1: get your politics out of my slasher movies. No, I mean, I think that the um, the depiction of the rioters in the opening scene kind of biased me in that direction. I thought there was going to be more of that sort of thing, and there really wasn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just, like, the loose critique of capitalism, American capitalism specifically, but there's not, like, a ton of culture war Type stuff there's not like well here's this one side and here's the other and that's why this one side is killing the other side it's really more just like you people were all nuts and you didn't help this person who needed help
1: right and i, I could have done without that pot shot being worked into the depiction of the crowd crush although and this is fully i would say a horror comedy i mean it's not enough like the i mean the 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 whole thing with the guy's name being scuba kind of (laughs) kind of clinches it you know there's like when killings are not taking place there's multiple would-be laugh lines per scene it is I, i i think really like a like a perfect kind of a half and half peanut butter and jelly horror comedy split right down the middle and if you were to open with a very realistic depiction of a crowd disaster, you would be dead on arrival. At least where the comedy is concerned, <laughs> so yeah, that's it's tough one of the most from that. one of the most just awful things I can imagine. So I understand why they played it the way they did, but I'm still holding out for a cinematic depiction of that sort of thing. The, the, there's a good one in the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds, where yeah. a bunch of people fleeing the Martian invasion are crowded onto a bridge, and there's just way too many of them, and you get those sort of stomach-churning overhead shots of bodies in the crowd swaying, moving like liquid. It just flips my stomach. It's, it's, and, then, and then a tripod atta- attacks the bridge, a Martian tripod, but that's almost a relief. Like, thank God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Some of these people got to go. There's no elbow room. <laughs> right.
0: Another movie that takes place in Boston and its environs. Yeah. Incidentally. I think,
1: and, and this is kind of just like a, a weird boiter on this movie that just ought to be, <laughs> you know, lanced or, 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 or somehow, you know, surgically removed. The other thing that, other than the prologue, that gets it into sick country is of course the killer chewing the scenery when he's yeah. you know got them all around the table you know talking about going viral and all that in general it's just a little too i mean i was going to say a little too internet savvy but it actually isn't it's not savvy enough all the nomenclature is not even outdated so much as just I don't know. I mean, what does virality have to do with anything? You know, it's just kind of shoehorned in there. All of the live streaming, that whole aspect of it, I could have I could have done without. I mean, he's he's dressed like a pilgrim, for Christ's sake. You know, if, if he should be a little bit more of a Luddite. I think that would have fit the bill and would have spared us some of the weird cul-de-sacs that this movie gets into, like the raid, potentially, on the lair that turns out to be a total waste of time.
0: Well, the... The only connection that the movie puts out there that kind of makes this work, and I think I'm still more or less on board with what you're saying, that it essentially doesn't work overall, but one of the football players, incidentally the one who gets the brunt of this screed about virality and breaking the internet, he, during the crowd disaster, has like leapt up, on top of one of the register islands, you know, like the, the conveyor belt and the whatever else, just standing on top of that, and is, like, shooting a video for his YouTube channel.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. And then it's 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 got all kinds of annotations on it, like, you know, that bitch isn't getting her waffle iron and that kind of junk.
0: The flip side is, that being such a focus of the killer's rantings and driving so much of his M.O., what with all the fucking live streaming, it would make more sense if that dude-bro football player character was the protagonist. Mm, yeah. Instead, the protagonist, the final girl, is someone who, like, didn't want the first Thanksgiving sale to happen, really. I mean, she didn't have nearly as strong of feelings about it before the disaster, obviously. But she... Also thought it was kind of scummy and it was an idea that her dad got from her wicked stepmother. And certainly subsequent to that, she thinks the whole thing is terrible and never wants it to happen and isn't obsessed with internet fame. Just seems like a pretty normal, well-adjusted teenager. So it doesn't make sense. There's a weird protagonist-antagonist disconnect or imbalance there. I don't know how to phrase it more specifically than that, but again, I
1: I think I know I wasn't struck by that while I was watching it, but I think you're right. I think that these things are usually more gripping when the killer has a special hard on for the final girl or, you know, whoever the last man standing is going to be. And and that's maybe why he's saving them for last, you know, here it's just kind of a fluke that the final girl is who she is. despite, being an heiress despite being directly descended from the guy who's arguably responsible for the whole debacle certainly if you take if you take my attitude on crowd disasters is would you know would be chiefly responsible it being a a top-down failure but that's really not how the movie depicts it the people are ravening dogs you know (laughs) trying to get their fucking waffle irons anyway it it is there is an arbitrariness at play there i'm inclined to agree with you
0: yeah, well, it's just so much less pointed if this whole screed can essentially only be directed against this relatively minor side character. Right. <laughs> I mean, maybe if that guy was the one filming that specific disaster, but maybe all of the teenagers involved are all kind of vapid, self-obsessed social media junkies, then you could have still done that. But again... He's played as a complete doofus. <laughs> there's, there's a scene where I think it's after the cheerleader and her boyfriend get murdered where the big rivalry football game is canceled. And he runs off and he says something like, I'm still going to go play. And Scuba says to him, like, you can't play football by yourself, dumbass. He's like, watch, watch me. me. you know so i mean he's he's a complete dunce and everyone knows it and then everyone else in the social circle they're all like pretty well-adjusted kids it seems like so and I,
1: i and i would take that frankly over them being zoomer caricatures just because that's guaranteed to be annoying either you know on purpose or accidentally or both
0: i completely agree with you there But that, conversely, is, I think, the only way that all the ranting about virality and the fixation on live streams would have made any sense. But then it would be part of a whole ecosystem of obnoxious social commentary that we would have wanted torn out at the root. Right, well, and and
1: then this movie would be completely cut from the same cloth as Sick, or The Hunt, or what have you.
0: So... It would have been better if they just hadn't had all the live stream bullshit, or not nearly so much of it, and didn't have that rant during the Thanksgiving tableau. Obviously, the killer's going to have a rant. Just write a different one. Yeah, I'm not even
1: sure what social media platform the killer is supposed to be hosting all of these murder live streams on. I think that violates the terms of service of almost everything. (laughs) Maybe you could, you might be able to get away with it on Twitter now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Is it sort like of the e- drain?
1: Elon Musk commenting under it, like concerning, looking into this.
0: <laughs> or just a, a crying laughing emoji on the other <laughs> hand. You know, it, it could have done either. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like where all the pictures keep going up that the kids keep getting tagged in, so like, oh, this happened and now this person's missing and so forth. Those are all supposed to be on Instagram. But uh-huh. in terms of the, the live streams themselves, I don't know whether they're Instagram live or, or what they're supposed to be. I don't think they ever say, probably because they didn't want to pay licensing fees. Yeah, they
1: don't really they don't really linger on the UI that I remember. Yeah. So the killer's got a cool look. The reveal is so so at best. And when he's chewing the scenery in costume or out of costume, it's just sort of a little bit buffoonish so i think that you could have done more i think that railing against the live streaming and and accidentally hitting on the idea of him being a luddite sort of it would put this movie on a whole different track but i think that making this killer dressed like john carver not of mars in the pilgrim get up and all that making him some kind of a staunch traditionalist like oh you know we must return which way western man kind of thing and that that, of course would also make it political and you don't have to make that a feature of of the movie have like explicit political messaging in it or make him into some kind of a straw man but i think that if he were just generally characterized as being more old school because he is killing folks with axes and pitchforks That's what makes his use of technology so incongruous. I don't know. I think that if he were just more of a pilgrim, more of a Puritan about it, he would have a little bit more presence, maybe be scarier. Because they've got the look. I like the Burger King Van Helsing thing (laughs) that they've got going on. Uh, It's just every time he opens his mouth, it gets kind of problematic. So I, I, I like that okay up to a point i liked it maybe a little more than okay but it just runs out of steam and kind of crab walks into its climax i thought i kept thinking that i was watching the final set piece you know well, first when they went to the party out in the sticks i was hoping that it would be, turn into more of a siege movie survive the night type thing and it didn't and then the parade quite easily could have been the climax and wasn't and uh, so i was just By the time Patrick Dempsey was unmasked, the movie felt over long to me, even though it's not that long, although maybe a little longer than average, as you pointed out for what it is. Yeah. So, on to recommendations. I. So, like I said at the top of the episode, there is a real dearth of Thanksgiving horror. I mean, it lends itself to a couple of gimmicks which are very easy to see coming like someone's gonna get turned into a man-sized turkey you know (laughs) and that's about it you know right (laughs) and unsurprisingly that has proved to not be a very deep well for movies to draw from i'm struggling to think of any horror movie set in or around Thanksgiving that I've seen that is worth recommending. It's just, it's sandwiched between two holidays that lend themselves much better to this kind of affair. Obviously, Halloween is a primo slasher month, and then there's a fair number of good Yuletide slashers as well. Thanksgiving is the middle child there and is unsurprisingly left out in the cold if you want to see a feature length movie that feels a bit like don't then <laughs> you could watch legend of hell house mm. quite good haunted house movie from the 70s that's
0: the one with uh, roddy mcdowell
1: i want to say yes the only <laughs> the only <laughs> actor i remember is michael goff who shows up at the end playing a corpse <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't have a single line of dialogue, but I was like, is that fucking Alfred? And it, sure enough, it was. I'll cancel the pizzas. <laughs> so, it, incredibly, that's my recommendation today, because Thanksgiving is just such a non-starter. That feels like a blind spot for me, but I don't know. By this time next year, by November of next year, I will try to find a good Thanksgiving horror movie, if one exists. I will not rest until I've found at least one.
0: Well, I did a little digging, and you know, pickings are slim. Somebody on the internet cited Krisha, which we or Krisha. i forget how it's pronounced. Oh yeah, the, there
1: is a, a harrowing sequence in that movie where she drops the turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the like tur- the 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 gravy and just the, the the turkey juices like spilling on the linoleum, and you've, you you know, she's out of frame but you just know that she's going to lose control of that pan and spoil everything. That movie is, is, is kind of like a Cassavetes sort of character study of a fraught Thanksgiving get-together with a lot of acrimonious family infighting.
0: Uh, yeah, and it's characterized as a horror movie, and that's a little bit of a stretch, I think.
1: I agree, but it's it, it's not... I, I kind of get where people are coming from, and if even one person died... I would be like, yeah, it's a horror movie. Because just atmospherically, <laughs> it, it feels... It's one of those anxiety attack movies, like the kind of movie that the the Safety brothers tend to make. right? Things of that nature.
0: Given that Matt, at the top of the episode, made a crack that we're getting this out just in time for Christmas, I'm just going to take the out and recommend some Christmas horror films. All right. Ho, ho, ho. I mean, why the hell not, right? Obviously, the original Black Christmas is a big-time landmark slasher. It predates virtually all of the like big-name franchise ones. Mm-hmm. You know, it's from 74, so it's pre-Halloween and pre-Friday the 13th and definitely pre-Nightmare.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's that and uh, Texas Chainsaw, which came out the same year, I think, are the most important progenitors, um, yeah. you know. And then Halloween came along and codified it.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's been followed by two remakes, the first of which I haven't seen, but I don't think is regarded as anything special, and then the latter of which we've done for the podcast and was bad. Yeah. Actively
1: bad. I mean, that was a case where I almost turned into like a get your politics out of my movies, you know, (laughs) chud, just because it was kind of a well-intentioned kind of feminist fever dream of a thing right. that was politically in line with, with, with my convictions, but was just kind of woeful.
0: Yeah. Krampus from a few years ago wasn't bad. Kind of a another holiday horror comedy thing. Yeah,
1: I've never seen that. I think this is the year that I fix that oversight.
0: Lest we forget, Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, if you haven't watched Gremlins, fucking watch Gremlins. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, I think that covers it. There's plenty of other holiday horror films, yeah. like Christmas horror films, slashers, but I don't need to recommend every one. So. No.
1: Well, we've got a couple more episodes to crank out before the end of the year, so we might not even... you know, It will remain topical.
0: Right. Well, Sheriff Dempsey has been incinerated, although they didn't find his body, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh. The nightmare at the
1: end is so silly because it's like he's still on fire, so just the, the <laughs> idea... We know as soon as we see him that she's dreaming and therefore not in harm's way because he has not just been on fire for several months. You know, he's just, no. just been continuously burning. Although that would be hilarious. Yeah. It'd,
0: be, it'd be pretty
1: good. It's like a fucking Shaggy in Five Nights. You know, I always come back. You know, it's just <laughs> casually revealed to be immortal <laughs> right at the very end. <laughs>
0: Why am I still on fucking fire? <laughs> Put me out, you douchebags. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Jim Smith. I'm Matt Daisy, And we are the Shock Doctors. We'll see you later. As always, we have some acknowledgments. Our music was composed by Will Connor. Audio for The Bumpers was taken from Thanksgiving official trailer, H.D., uploaded by sony pictures entertainment all rights reserved our next episode will be up on sunday december 24th and we will be discussing william brent bell's latest schlockfest lord of misrule see you then